Hi there, Paula Eamon here with a heart full of love for you and a heart's desire to encourage you to endure this short life with joy and hope by the grace of God for the glory of God. One time my oldest son and I ran a 5K for a pro-life cause. I am in no way a runner, never have been. I remember starting out the race with all of the runners. Their excitement really rubbed off on me. Very quickly though, I fell to the back of the pack. Not surprising. Well, to help us keep our momentum, the race organizers had planted people all along the sides at the beginning of the track. As I got to each one, I found them clapping and specifically cheering me on. I have to tell you, I distinctly remember tears running down my face as I ran. I was just so touched by their clapping and shouting for me to keep going. I just kept thinking, this is going to be hard, but I can do it. In many ways, I really hope that this podcast is for you like those cheerleaders were for me. Jesus is the author and finisher of your faith race, and I, along with a cloud of witnesses, are cheering you on to keep going, keep looking up, keep aiming toward the finish line. You can do it because you are fueled by the grace of God. I want to tell you again about Ministry Ally. Throughout my ministry experience, I have observed people who serve in churches and Christian nonprofits overwhelmed by the work it takes to keep up with technology. Websites, social media, emails, and text messaging, they all can provide incredible opportunities for personal connection, but their creation and upkeep can also cause monumental distractions from the mission. Enter Ministry Ally. They provide support for churches and Christian nonprofits through web design and hosting, digital communication, and remote ministry assistance. If you, your pastor, or a ministry partner need help with a website or any other digital communication, schedule an appointment at ministryally.com to learn more. That's ministryally.com. Now to episode eight, Walk with God. Today, I'd like to start exploring a new group of inspiring believers. They are the ancient believers whom God recorded in His Word. He listed them in His cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 11, which is sometimes called the Hall of Faith. Let's learn about who He finds inspiring. Take a second to grab your Bible. You'll need it for today's episode. I want to start by reading Hebrews 11, 1-3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. How does the author of Hebrews define faith in verse 1? As the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I love Matthew Henry's quote on this. He says that faith and hope go together, and the same things that are the object of our hope are the object of our faith. Let's break that down a little. If faith is the assurance or the promise of things hoped for, who has made the promise? God himself. We can have confident faith because it is God who promised us the things we are hoping for. Wow! Matthew Henry goes on to describe faith as being to the soul what the senses are to the body. I see a beautiful sunset, so I know where the sun is. I hear the chirping of a bird, so I know a bird is near. So is faith. 
I have faith in God because he is real. I have faith in his promises because he is the one who made them. Verse 2 goes on to tell us that by faith the elders, or the ancient believers, obtained a good report. Who gave them the good report? God. Henry says that their faithful lives were recorded in the Bible for all of us to learn from. They were an honor to their faith, and their faith was an honor to them. I love this. Honestly, I struggled with this very thing when I started my podcast. I was concerned that it would come across as me exalting believers more than the God they believed in. But from this passage, God has made it clear to me that it is good for us to be reminded of what faith in the Almighty God looks like. Just as a teacher gives examples to her students of how to do something when teaching a concept, so does God give us examples of faithful believers and their faith-filled obedience when he tells us to live lives of faith in him. Verse 3 makes it clear that our faith must begin with the truth that God created everything. Let's read it again. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Make no mistake, true faith can only begin by believing that God created everything, because since he did, he has ultimate control. He and he alone deserves our worship and adoration and our faith and hope. The rest of Hebrews 11 gives 15 specific accounts of faithful believers. It then gives the general account of faithful believers who were tortured, imprisoned, impoverished, afflicted, mistreated, and killed. For today's witnesses, I will quickly reference the first two faithful believers mentioned in verses 4 through 6. The rest of our time will be focused on the third found in verses 7 and 8. Abel, the second son of Adam and Eve, was a shepherd. His older brother Cain was a farmer. There came a time when a sacrifice was required of them. What was the purpose of this sacrifice? It was to demonstrate a confession of sins and a heart of repentance for the purpose of being restored to the Redeemer, God himself. How did these brothers respond to what was required of them? Verse 4 tells us, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. Abel did exactly what God required of him. His was a humble sacrifice of dependence. Matthew Henry described Cain's sacrifice by saying that it was that of mere acknowledgment and thanksgiving. Cain offered things from his garden, which on the surface looked sacrificial, but it wasn't what God required. Henry goes on to say that there will always be a difference between those who worship the true God. Some, like the Pharisees, will lean to their own righteousness. Others, like the publican, will confess their sin and cast themselves upon the mercy of God in Christ. Why then could God have listed Abel in the hall of faith? Possibly nothing else than for the reason that he faithfully obeyed what God required of him. His sacrifice showed that he knew he was a sinner and that he wanted to be reconciled to God. It is also highly likely that God wanted to honor Abel for being the very first martyr this world has ever known. Who was his killer? His jealous brother Cain. If you'd like more details, read Genesis 4. Now let's look at the second believer God mentions in his list of faith-driven believers. Would you believe me when I tell you that this man was so full of faith that he didn't even die? Hebrews 11.5 says that by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. 
Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, says that when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So, Enoch is said to have pleased God and to have walked with God. These are synonymous phrases and strongly imply that Enoch enjoyed spending time with God, that he obeyed God, that he reflected the nature of God, and that he followed God. How did that start? Well, here again you have an anchor point for people of faith. Just as Hebrews tells us in verse 3 that we must believe that God created the universe, verse 6 tells us that we must believe that God exists. Enoch did. Verse 6 goes on to tell us that that belief comes with a promise. Listen to all of that verse. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. What is the promise? That God rewards those who seek him. Enoch pleased God by believing he existed, that he created everything, and that he would be rewarded by God because he rewards those who diligently seek him. Enoch walked with God. He obeyed God. He enjoyed God. What was his reward? He did not see death. God took him. The ultimate gift for one who loved to be with God. What a faithful and inspiring witness. Now to our third and final faith-filled believer honored by God. He can be found in Hebrews 11.7. It says that by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What a heavy passage of scripture, especially if you read it in light of the passage in Genesis that tells how wicked things were in his day. Genesis chapter 6 indicates that the population of the earth was significant due to the massive lifespans of its inhabitants. People were given to marriages that were unholy in many ways. The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, according to verse 5. It is said that even the leaders were only wicked and evil. How great the evil had to have been if its leaders were leading wickedly. The earth was corrupt and filled with violence. All flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Can you imagine being Noah? He had to have woken up every day and felt like he was a tiny goldfish swimming up Niagara Falls. I just can't even get my mind wrapped around the darkness he was constantly surrounded by. And I can't comprehend being the only one in the world who feared God. What isolation! What temptations to discouragement and despair! Not even his father Lamech or his grandfather Methuselah were mentioned as godly or righteous. How did God feel about the worldwide wickedness? Genesis 6 verses 6 and 7 say that he was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. He was determined to destroy man and beast. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Wow! What a splash of neon on a devastatingly black canvas. Genesis 6 9 describes Noah as a righteous man, blameless in his generation. It also says that Noah walked with God. Hey! That sounds familiar. 
Who was our last witness? Wasn't he described as one who walked with God? Yes, it was Enoch, who just happened to be Noah's great-grandpa. Well, God, being the sovereign ruler that he is, had a plan to handle all of this wickedness. Genesis 6 tells us that it was a universal flood. Would that include Noah, his wife, sons, and daughters-in-law? No, because God delights to save those who trust in him. In fact, God communicated to the minutest detail his plans for Noah to build an ark that would rescue Noah and his family, along with animals two of a kind, seven of each kind of clean beasts, and seven of each kind of the fowls of the air. God told Noah his plans to feed everyone and everything while they were on the ark. Did God show any regard for the wicked? Yes. Genesis 7-4 indicates that God gave a seven-day warning that the flood was coming, along with an explanation of how long the flood was going to last, 40 days and 40 nights. Some estimate that building the ark took around 75 years. Matthew Henry described the scene. Every blow of Noah's axes and hammers was a call to repentance, a call to the wicked to prepare arks too. But since by it he could not convince the world, by it he condemned the world. How sad. There is coming a day when the opportunity for the wicked to repent will no longer exist. How did Noah respond to God's plans? Genesis 6.22 and 7.5 say that he did all that God commanded him. All of it. Every last bit. What a description of obedience. It doesn't say that he did most of it and complained half the time. He did every last bit of what God had commanded him to do. And this was no light task either. Then Noah, his family, and the animals went into the ark. They listened to God and experienced his favor, direction, and protection. Genesis 7.16 says that the Lord shut him in. Oh, the safety that comes from obeying God. After living on the ark for over a year, God is said to have remembered Noah. The waters receded and dry land appeared. What was the first thing God did? He commanded Noah and his wife, his sons and their wives, to be fruitful and multiply. His desire was not to rid the earth of people. It was to rid the earth of unadulterated evil. Now the stage was set to reset everything. What was the first thing Noah did after leaving the ark? Of his own desire, he built an altar to the Lord and offered a burnt offering as an act of avoiding God's wrath and of obtaining God's favor. This was a very humble act by a man who could have acted in pride, since he had been singled out by God as the most righteous person on the planet. God then went on to make promises and to give instructions. You can find them in Genesis chapters 8 and 9. God said, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, neither will I again smite any more everything living, as I have done. He then promised that the seasons, days, and nights will not cease. He told them about the fear of people animals will have and about their usefulness to mankind. He explains that the punishment for murder should be death. He again commanded them to be fruitful and to multiply. He promised that he will never again destroy everyone and everything by a flood. And finally, to reflect the throne he sits upon, he gave the rainbow as the sign of his promise. What a good and beautiful God. If I were to sum up Noah in one word, it would be obedient. 
He believed that God existed, that He was the Creator, that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, and that He is to be feared and reverently obeyed. Noah was righteous, and he was faithful. What a witness! May these qualities inspire you to walk with God. He is good, and He is worthy.